Hi, I'm Warren Davies, the Unbreakable Farmer, and welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast, where I have the privilege to be joined by some amazing people I get to meet in my travels and share their stories and wisdom with you. After all, one of the most powerful assets of any community is the shared wisdom, and the best way to share that wisdom is through storytelling. So sit back and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast. Um, today's guest, for most people, um, will need little introduction. But for, for as most people that I meet, uh, there's much more to the person than that they're known for or what they do. My guest and I met at an event where I was the speaker and she was the MC, and I was instantly taken by her professionalism and her depth and level that she operates at. She's best known for being a TV presenter, but is also a country girl at heart. She's also been a science teacher, journalist, and currently is a successful business owner, singer, performer, and foremost, a mother to her daughter, Molly Rose, and a wife and partner to Simon, her husband. Please welcome to the podcast today, Georgie Coglin. Good morning, Georgie. How are you? Morning. Thank you so much for asking me on. I have to say, I was obviously going to say yes straight away because we met and had this wonderful connection and I just really, really love and applaud the work that you're doing. But how could I not say yes to Beyond the Back Paddock when I'm a country girl? <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, it, um, it's, it kind of gets people in that um, with intrigue what Beyond the Back Paddock means. But, you know, I, I set this little passion project up just to um, – to probably not expose, that's probably the wrong word, that sounds very journalistic, but it's um, to share some of the stories with the wonderful people that I get to meet along my journey and and you being one of them. And as you said, that, that day in Melbourne, it's kind of going to, it sits as one of my highlights because, you know, I was a bit confronted that first day, uh, that day on that stage in Melbourne because, oh, Georgie Coughlin's the MC and, oh, geez. She's, um, you know, this TV performer and all that sort of stuff, and I was a little bit taken back. But as um, soon as we got to sit down on that couch and, you know, those question and answers that we were meant to do for about 10 minutes, but I think we took up a, a fair bit more time of the um, <laughs> of the agenda that day. Um, yeah, I was really intrigued. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and spending the time. And I suppose what I want to do is just unpack your story a little bit from being that country girl and then the science teacher and leading through your career and, and to what leads us to, to what you do today as a, as a business owner and, and running um, stuff at, at your farm at Birmingham Farm. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. So I'll probably hand it over to you and let you share a little bit of what you want to share um, of your story and, and I'm sure from that a few questions will go and we'll, we'll let it see where it lands. Well, thanks, Warren. I mean, it's so weird talking about your own story because it sounds so boring to me. You know, when you're talking about your own life and people are like, tell us a little about your story and your life, and you think, oh, gosh, well, it's not that fascinating to me because I'm the one that lives it. I'm always more interested in other people's stories, particularly given my work on the project when I was constantly looking at the stories of news and the stories of other humans. But in a nutshell, just a country girl who was – lucky enough to get some breaks, work hard and have an incredible foundation of family and friends around me that 
has always given me a really good sense of self. So I think the one theme throughout my life changing from being a teacher, biology teacher, I started off doing Bachelor of Science at Monash Uni. I majored in pharmacology and zoology and then went into teaching. Then I went into professional musical theatre. Then I jumped from musical theatre to TV and now I've sort of come back to the land full circle, which is really lovely, and dabbling, doing a couple of things um, with businesses, but really heading back to my performing and my singing, which is interesting. But maybe the common thread is I've always felt that I've had the courage to jump off the cliff into those different areas. And that comes from, for me, my country upbringing, my incredible family and my really rock-solid girlfriends, all from grade two and year seven down in Waterbull. And I think when you have that sense of self, you have that ability to think, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? I've got a safe place to land underneath me with the support and the love. So there's nothing to sort of be lost from that because a lot of people said to me, I can't believe you've changed all these careers and why do you keep doing these things? And it's because I'm a curious person and it is because of that sense of self that I always say to my husband, like he's just, we're, we're, you know, looking at changing next year what we're doing with getting out of hospitality, maybe staying in a little bit, but maybe him doing something new. And I can see that he's been really brave because he's got a bit of fear in there. And I say, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing could happen is that you land on a new career and it doesn't work and you go back to what you did. But the best thing that can happen is everything else that can come into the universe. So that's really been my mantra. And I hope I stay that way, Warren. I turned 48 in about a month's time. So I'm broaching 50 years old and I just want the next 50 years to be as exciting, as adventurous and as courageous. Yeah, and I, and I find that too. Like it's, um, you know, stepping into the world of being a speaker and doing what I do now, at the end of the day, I always know in the back of my head that I can go back and drive tractors or I can go and milk cows because <laughs> I know how to do that sort of stuff. And, and, and really there's nothing to lose but so much to gain. And, and I think from this, what you've just already just spoken about, I think that's the bit that um, – that first day that we met that like I was so intrigued with the I suppose the the understanding of yourself and 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 the depth that you operate at is probably the best way to um knowing a a little bit about yourself but I'm, I'm gathering that hasn't always been that way um and you've done a lot of work to be in that space do you want to talk a little bit about that well firstly thank you I love that you recognize depth that in itself is a huge reflection of who you are because if you can't recognise it in other people, you can't value it. So I love that you instantly could see depth and you obviously can see depth, which is why you're running a podcast, which is why you're changing so many lives with the work that you're doing. And it's funny, isn't it, when you say depth hasn't always been there. It's so true because I look back at my 20-year-old self from 20 even to 30, and I don't recognise that woman at all. I love and respect her and she was on such a journey, but, my goodness, she didn't know who she was. She was so lost. And I don't think you ever get to a point where, I don't know, I'm constantly doing work on myself. For me, it's a daily practice. It's never something that I get to a destination in life and go, oh, here I am fully-fledged, evolved human, I totally understand myself, I totally own my story, nothing triggers me and I'm all okay. Like I'll never get to that point. And 
I love listening to people wiser and older than us that say, keep doing the work. Jane Fonda is someone that I just love listening to her story because she talks about the three acts of your life and that your first act, which I can really relate to, is, you know, you're just a mess. You're just all over the place. You're complicated. You don't know who you are. You make, you know, not great decisions necessarily because you're just getting to know who you are and you don't understand your story. The second act, which for me began in my probably late 20s, early 30s, coming out of a really bad relationship, being stripped back to to nothing and wanting wanting to know who, who actually am I, how do I operate, and then I started to tap into this magical world of, oh, I can actually heal myself and do the work and have mentors and healers that can help me. And that was like discovering a whole new hidden gem of myself and I feel like I'm still in the second act. And then she talks about the third act where if we do the work in act two, the third act can be really glorious and beautiful and magical. Still hard, of course, because life will always be difficult and the only constant is change. So the depth that I've got is purely from looking at my story, Warren. Like I I just think one of the greatest gifts we can give to ourselves is understanding our story because there's so much in there that we block out consciously or unconsciously and every single one of us is flawed including our parents and including our parents parents and their parents so that transfer of flawedness which is you know trauma just keeps being handed down from generation to generation and until we do the work and stop it and say, I'm not going to hand that down anymore because I'm going to work on myself to make sure that I do this for myself or my family, um, that, that pattern just continues. So understanding story and understanding everyone else's story for me is where you find depth and compassion, self-love, self-respect, kindness, boundaries. So it's, for me, it's been understanding my story and I still talk to my inner child all the time. I'm like, oh, tell me about this and remind me what it was like when you were eight because that helps me understand who I am today and just being curious with myself and being curious with other people, Warren. Like I just, Simon laughs all the time because I'll very rarely read a fiction book. I'm always nonfiction, always got Gabriel Mate, Brene Brown, Oprah, Tim Ferriss, I'm, I'm, you know, he's just like, you just love it, don't you? And I'm like, I do love it. And I think he gets a little bit sick of being Brene Brown the whole time. But that's my whole mantra is how can I just keep learning and growing and becoming better? And now that I'm nearly 48, I really want to try and help particularly women because um, I probably have just a more of an initial connection with them. I really want to help other women and men. Simon's really keen. We're going to talk about having workshops and hopefully having your good self there at Birmingham. And how do you how do you help other people become the best version of themselves? That's what I'm really passionate about now. Yeah, and that's kind of I think that's where we made that connection because it was the, the same as me because losing when I lost my farm, I lost my identity and, and my purpose in life. Even though I was, you know, a husband and a and a and a dad and a brother and a son, I, I lost that purpose and and trying to re in, not in reinvent yourself, but rediscover yourself and find out what that purpose is. And and until you get to that point, you know, 
the the whole that your your new purpose can be whole so much greater than the purpose that you were serving before and and that's what i've found now doing what i'm doing so i think that's where we made that connection because i obviously before that day when we met in melbourne that i'd done a bit of research to make sure that i i knew who you were even though you were the mc and 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 knew a little bit about your story and um yeah and and it was and what really intrigued me was the work that you'd done on yourself that to be able to um i suppose yeah as you said heal and then be able to to move forward and and try different things and and be confident in yourself and and all that sort of stuff and so um we've we've touched a little bit about um you know of your career but i suppose we, I, I need to and, I, and i'm sure some of the audience would would want to know a little bit about georgie who was that that tv performer and and the part that that played in your life and you've said that a little bit about you know you enjoyed being on the project because you were um, talking about other people's stories and learning about that um what part did that play and 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 what challenges did that pose and, and how did that i suppose shape georgie who georgie is today yeah great question um, I think when you're when you're on television, there's a level of you're always a performer. So deep down, my singing and my performing is a huge part of who I am. So there's a it's almost like a pie a part of you. There's a part of you that just as a pure and utter performer loves the the action and the thrill and the drama and the intensity of live TV. And that's very similar to theatre or stage, where you know once that red camera's on and you're going live around the nation, it's such pressure and I'm a typical alpha, you know, outcome-based personality. So I loved the pressure that that put on me. And it's funny when I went from live TV back to sort of pre-recorded TV, there's never that same buzz with pre-recorded because you know you can do another take. Whereas live TV is, okay, I'm live. This is breaking. We're going straight to to a particular talent or we're interviewing the prime minister. So the buzz and the pressure of that really suits my personality. I love pushing myself to rise to that occasion. Um, but first and foremost, I think it's weird. I think the teacher thread and the education part of my my personality came through a lot on the project where my intention was always, how do I make this story interesting, palatable, relatable to the person on the end of the camera? So I always, when I was talking to you all on the project, I would always be looking through to the camera and imagining everybody sitting on the couch. And I would physically imagine all of these different people on the couch around Australia, I'd imagine single people, young people, old people, families, groups of people, lonely people, traumatised people. I would always have that in my heart when I was talking to the camera. And there are a lot of there are a lot of things about the media that I don't like and it can be used in a really bad way. So I always had the intention of how do I use the power of the media, which is pretty phenomenal, for good. And so whenever there was a chance to do a story that touched people's hearts, had a greater intention, or even if it was just a political story that, to be honest, I wasn't that interested in, my question to the producers and in our meeting was always, this is just really unrelatable. How do we make this palatable to the people? So that was probably my prime intention every day I walked into that office was how do I relate to people, make them feel seen and, and heard? And that was the reason why I loved the project because it was a show that had a soul that was all about the people. So for 11 years, I I felt very, very privileged to be in that position. And I do love being part of a team, Warren. 
like being part of a team is, you know, it's it's just so much fun. All the pressure's not on you because you're all playing your parts. It's a bit like a band, you know, when you go, you know, if you don't have your bass section right, your rhythm section for firing, the song's never going to to, to fly. So being part of a of a team is really, really wonderful because they bring out elements of your personality that you didn't even know that you had. Like Pete Halley would say to me, Georgie, you throw to that and do that because you're really, I'd be like so chuffed going, oh my God, Peter Halley wants me to do that and he thinks I'm a little bit funny. And I remember when, you know, if Pete, if Pete ever laughed at my jokes, I'd just be like a little rooster. I'd be so puffed up for the rest of the week. And different reasons for Waleed, like when he trusted me with an opinion or he said to me, why don't you say this and I'll say that. And so I, I think being part of a team, it was a huge draw card for me as well. And I'd now be very, I'd be very inclined to, to go back into TV with a team-based environment because I do love the energy that comes with that. And you can all help each other when you're not, when you're not great. Like if you're at 30%, some nights you go on air and you're just not great for, you, you mightn't be great because you're sick. You mightn't be great because you're mentally not well because you're Maybe Molly was really sick or Simon was stressed out and here I am away from them. And so it's like any job. You go into it some days feeling fantastic and you go in other days really struggling. So they can lift you up too and get you through a show when you're really battling. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the main – they're the main reasons why I did that show and why I loved being in the media. And I've carried on that passion for trying to help people and make life more palatable, I think, now with my next – move here at Birmingham Farm. So once you once you left the project and, and obviously um, there was you know, businesses and all that, um, I think we that day in Melbourne we talked about like the effect of COVID and obviously being in hospitality, um, the, the the effect that COVID had on your business and on, on, on your own well-being or on everyone's well-being. Um, how did you... Or what strategies did you employ or employ um, during COVID um, to get through, you know, that whatever it was, two and a half or three year period where, you know, things were kind of put on hold? Yes. Well, my husband, just for your listeners, my husband and I own a boutique hotel in Ballarat and a French restaurant. So, of course, zip business in COVID. (laughs) Like we just, we were stripped back to the core I like everyone and I have to say it was the toughest time in our marriage, 100%. It was so challenging because we had the stress of the business but we had it together. It wasn't like we could both come back at the start of the day or the end of the day and sort of debrief about what had happened with both of our jobs. You know, we were both in the same thing and dealing with the same thing and within a marriage sometimes I find that can be just so overwhelming because – you would then argue about the same stuff, but you're trying to both manage the same thing as well. And it was incredibly stressful. So I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all. It was really hard. I'm really proud of the fact that we came through stronger, understood each other better, lots and lots of hard conversations, lots of strategies of how we're actually going to navigate this together, which was having to learn just to shut up, having to learn not to push a point, having to to learn to be more in tune with when the other person was really at their wits end. We use Brene Brown's strategy a lot of like I'm at 10% today. I'm literally at 10%. I've got nothing else. 
And the other person might say, well, I'm at 70, so I'm okay. And then the days we were both at 20%, we just sort of had to really learn to be really kind to each other. And then, of course, we're lucky that we've only got one child doing homeschooling, Molly, but that was still full on. I mean, I've, I've been a teacher and that was still crazy. So we were trying to do the hospitality, manage our team, had a closed restaurant, trying to pivot every second week, every week with takeaway or how could we keep getting money in the door and homeschooling everybody else. So strategies that we employed, I immediately just didn't drink. Like from the very, like I think it was second week in, I was like, I cannot survive mentally if I'm not going to be on my game here. So I just stopped drinking pretty much altogether. I would occasionally have something, I think maybe to feel a bit, bit um, like a bit of a treat. I meditated religiously every morning and night to try and just set my my mind for the day and that just that helped me enormously. And we just had to, like, like a lot of other people, we just had to get outside, we had to exercise, we had to practice gratitude every day. But it was super, super hard, Warren. It was a time, I think there's still a lot of PGSD for Simon and I with that, with hospitality. We're still, and our team mentally, you know, we're still looking after each other and there's still a lot of fragility there because you can't just get over something like that and move on. I think there's an exhaustion that we're still processing from from that time. And I think I think that's a common thread like through a lot of the communities that I, I speak in and even though we were probably not as impacted in rural communities and regional communities as they were in Melbourne, I think there's just a real sense of exhaustion at the, mo- at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling and sensing that with people that I talk to that, you know, it's going to take a while to get over that, um, you know, that feeling and I suppose that uncertainty and, and how things could just change at the, at the click of a finger because I, I know I was going to a speaking gig in, in South Australia that time we got thrown into that lockdown in, on a Friday afternoon and I was only, you know, an hour or so away from the border and had to ring up the organisers and say, look, I'm not going to get there because if I cross the border, I'm not allowed to come back again and, and, and all those things. So that that sense of un, uncertainty and, and I know in, in just in recent times I've, you know, had a, a little bit of a, a busy period and then a, a, a few quiet weeks and I've been sitting here and I've been reaching out to a few um, um, people. Um, meditation's not something I've ever explored and I was talking to a mate who's, a, you know, he's a big advocate around meditation and I, I've started doing that a little bit of a morning just to kind of set my day um, because it, it can be lonely um, sitting in your office if you're not out on the road speaking like I'm lucky last week I was this this week coming up, I'm heading to central um, New South Wales. So, you know, I'll be out and I'll be active, but sitting in the office just doing the Monday and trying to get everything lined up, it, it can be really challenging mentally. So I needed something else in my day. And, and so meditation something that, that I'm experimenting with at the moment, um, something that I've never done, you know, as a dairy farmer. It can be, <laughs> as an ex-dairy farmer, it seems a little bit airy-fairy. It's not something that you did at 6 o'clock in the, or 5.30 in the morning as you're getting the cows in meditating, but... I suppose as a, a form of meditation that was, milking the cows was kind of a therapy really, even though it was a, as a tough gig. It was um, it was something that had activated you early in the morning instead of, you know, taking, you know, being like a diesel truck and taking a while in the day to wind up. It, acti- it activated you first thing in the morning. So you're on all day kind of thing. So it's something that I'm exploring. 
So moving out of COVID and then, and as as we said, we, we probably won't recover for a few years, but um, I think you fell back in love with your um, performing back into into your music and your singing, which is something that, um, you know, I really enjoy as we, as um, you know, my son's a, a professional musician and he's in that space. So, so music for me is, um, is something that I uh, really love. So moving back into that, how is that feeling for you to move back to one of your passions and, and explore that again? It was exciting and also scary because of, like everyone, you doubt yourself and you think, oh, I'm getting old and and I haven't done this for ages. But you just return to your heart, don't you? And we have a great saying here at Birmingham Farm, you come home to yourself. And the pandemic was great for me in that it really distilled what I do want to do and what I didn't want to do. And I think the other, the other element to the pandemic for me in COVID was it was so hard to present negative news every single time we were there. Like the there'd be a bit of joy, but it was so much doom and gloom. Every week it was the same, particularly in Melbourne. And even when I'd walk into the office in Melbourne, the staff were really struggling because like you, we had a property. So we were able to be out and about here on land. So that was a big difference. So the, the pandemic really helped me revisit myself and through meditation I realised, yes, of course, I need to come home to what makes me happiest, which is creativity, music, acting, going back to my performing. And that's been really beautiful. So I wrote a show and I performed that earlier this year in 2023 and that was just such a thrill and I could do the show the way it worked in my life with my family. Molly sang at the end and Simon was you know, doing the tickets on the door and I just really loved that it was an evolved version of what I wanted to do as well. And it reminded that you've got to work hard and you have to have some luck. But if you do the work and believe in yourself that you can do things on your terms if you if you really, really want to, um, and maybe it doesn't happen straight away, maybe it doesn't happen exactly the way you originally thought it, but it can, it's all possible. So that was really gorgeous. And just the other doors that have opened up since then, I just was lucky enough to host Morning Melodies at the Arts Centre in Melbourne last year and I just adored that. That connection with the audience is what I love the most. Same thing when I go out into stage is how do I make them feel seen and feel that I'm really connected to them. So that's been really lovely and really exciting. And I sit down through meditation and through vision boards and reconnect with what I want to do in the next 10, 20 years with that space. And that's been really beautiful. So I've I've loved that. And then trying to combine that now with that sort of passion of performing. I might go back to TV if the right gig comes up. Um, I'm very open to the right gig with the right intention and the right people. And my big focus just for now is Birmingham, which is helping other people come home to themselves by offering a whole range of workshops here on the farm based on either the work of Brene Brown, research-based techniques of how we become more in touch with ourselves, leadership programs, want to do mental health program, want you to do something with, particularly with men, where maybe they're making pasta so they're talking about this stuff but they're not focused on it, so they're not looking across the table and feeling intimidated. We have parenting workshops with Lael Stone coming up. So that's where I'm getting a lot of joy here because it's connecting to the land. Mother Nature's a really big healer for me. And it's funny, Warren, how once you, you know, Oprah has a great saying that when you have the right intention to help and serve others using your talent, nothing can stop you. 
you know, the universe or whatever you believe in or just life will just come flying underneath and propel it forward. And that's what's happening. Like it's funny we're being approached by so many psychologists who want to run equine therapy programs here, dog therapy programs here, grief workshops. So that all that's all just so connected to my heart to help people be the best version of themselves and and to reconnect. Like we've got to keep reconnecting. I feel after the pandemic it's it's the worst that it's ever been with technology and our young kids and even us. You know, we've got to reconnect. It's going back to that sense of community. You know, I was reflecting the other day, we were lucky enough to go to Italy for my brother-in-law's wedding recently. And the Italians are so connected. They intergenerational dinners, um, food is celebrated. A lot of Europeans live in quite small apartments, so everyone is always out, out in the squares. And that's why, you know, you have all of these cities designed that way so they can all connect, 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 connect. Literally go home and sort of sleep and do a few things and then it's connecting again, whereas we've done the complete opposite. We have these mini mansions and we have these homes with theatres and pools and we're quite insular and isolated and then we all sit at home with all of our stuff and go, ah, I'm actually not that happy here because I'm not connected. And so my big thing, I've got a, I like to pick a, a word, like a theme that I have for in my life. And at the moment, my theme is connected. How do I get more connected, connected to mother nature, connected to myself, connected to others, connected to community? How do I get more connected? And it's like anything, you know, once you put it front of mind and it becomes conscious, it's beautiful what unravels from that. And so initially, and even at the petrol station, we got off the autostrada and we flew into the petrol station. And remember the old days when you'd have someone at the Bowser that would fill up your car? And there was a man yep. there, Italian man, you know, my Italian's terrible, same with Simon, but we had a lovely little exchange and then we just gave him our money. We didn't even need to go into the the actual petrol station. We just had an exchange with him. But even just that little connection with that person putting the petrol in got me thinking and drove off and thinking, we've just created this world where there's no connection. Everything's done on computers. Look, there's lots of positives to that. I'm very aware of that. And there's positives to AI with medicine. But I just worry that we're getting so removed from each other that it's time to just reconnect in every single way that we can with transactions. And that's what I love about living in the country. And I love that we go down here to the the chemist and, you know, they know our name, they know my dad's name. We go into the post office, they all know each other. We go into our barista, they know who we are. And I think, I don't know how you feel, whether you're seeing that in your work, but we just... That's why I started Birmingham is we need to feel more connected. And I, you know, I think through the work that I do, like community events are, are amazing and, it, and it's amazing that you can have a community come together and some people can be neighbours and they haven't seen each other for, for months. And, and I think we've lost that, you know, you meet down the, at the post office or the, the mailbox or whatever. And, and it's funny you say about um, the petrol station, there's a, there's, actually a petrol station in Shepparton. It's called Patentina's and um, it's run by an Italian family and it's still the same. You drive in there, they come out, the squeegee's on your windscreen. As the car's filling up, they're talking to you through the windscreen. They'll wash your windscreen. You know, you don't go into the shop. You don't do anything. It's just, yeah, that's driveway service like it used to be. Um, and it's amazing. It's just, a, it's an amazing experience because now we're so used to everything so fast and, you know, fill and go in and, and you don't really have an interaction with the, the 
person that's behind the counter because it's there's always a line or whatever. It's um we are we have become disconnected, and it's one of the things like I. You know my three lessons in in my presentation are you know my probably my three failures that when I you know when I re share my journey but you know communication is is so key um, you know we need to communicate with each other and, and and share some of our our challenges and our you know our wins as well um, so you know because within within our own wins and, and challenges there's there's wisdom that we can share with other people and and that comes comes to the second lesson is about connecting and, and being connected to your community and the, and the power of any community is that shared wisdom because you know we're we're all traveling that journey that you know and we've all picked up pieces of wisdom like someone could be listening um, to you today and you might have said something today that you might think is quite insignificant. But it could be that piece of wisdom that someone else has been searching for for years, and it could help them forward on their journey. So it's um you know that, that connection is is really important, and and I know that has been a, a focus for you um, this year in, in twenty twenty three. But also one of your focuses is radical acceptance, and that's um, really intrigued me. That I actually um, did a bit of googling before we jumped online, so I could understand it better. But do you want to explain radical acceptance um, to the audience and and and, and how you um, use that in your life? Well, I mean, look, I'm not an expert, Warren. I'm just sort of stumbling and fumbling my way through. But I first heard. I think maybe Brene Brown, it's either Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle. I'm huge fans of both and I'm constantly listening to their podcasts. Talked a lot about radical acceptance and the holistic psychologist. I follow her as well. She's amazing in the States. And it's, it really is, I suppose, a, a more structured um, framework for surrender. You know, people say to you, look, you just have to surrender. And often I find that can be really frustrating and unhelpful <laughs> and quite triggering. Like if you're having a really shit time in your life and someone goes, just surrender, you know, you can't tell like going to bugger off. Um, so I suppose it's, yeah, it's a formalised, maybe it's a, this is the way I see it, it's a formalised version of what I can do when I say surrender. So an example would be, um someone in your life is quite toxic and you need you've, you've put boundaries in place to try and deal with them maybe it could be a family member or it could be a work colleague um could be an ex but they're still probably pushing the point or and you have that sort of thought of why can't they just be you know we always sort of say that as humans why can't they just be this or if you lose your job why did that have to happen or if you're someone who's really really struggling with mental health why can't I just be happy but I think by asking that question, for me, that just leads to more unhappiness and more frustration because I'm focusing on what I don't have. Whereas radical acceptance is about shifting it the other way and just radically accepting what is. So saying to myself, I can't change them. I can't change their behavior. I can't control their behavior. I can only control my response to this. So how about I just radically accept that that's what it is and sit in that radical acceptance? And for me, I get a sense of freedom with that because I I am like a an alpha personality, a results-driven, outcome-based personality. 
So when I can't get an answer and can't fix it and can't get to this point, I do find that really frustrating and that can cause me more anxiety. Plus I waste so much energy doing that. So for me, radical acceptance is about sitting, for me it's about almost like a sense of sitting back in it and saying, I don't necessarily want to do this, but I'm radically just going to accept this for what it is. And I almost feel like I exhale then and go, huh, you know, let them be a dickhead. Let them be whatever they are. I'm just going to accept that. Does that make any sense? Yeah, and that, and exactly. And I think, you know, just controlling what you can control and, and, and not get caught up within the stuff that you can't control. And, and like you said, if, if someone wants to be a dickhead, well, you can't control that. And you've, and, and accepting that that's who they are and, and just, yeah, being able to move forward. Yeah, and it's it's just really helped me get to a sense of um, and it doesn't look as you know some days it's it's probably more powerful than others and works others, but just the notion of it I love is that you can accept what you don't necessarily want, and you don't have to accept it with open arms, but you can just accept it. It can be almost like just in terms of on the journey, it can just be a little place where you can rest for a while <laughs> rather than having to fight it the whole time you can just be like okay I'm just going to accept this or surrender whatever word works for you um as long as you're still standing within your values and your boundaries that um you've just brought up a point then that I'm gonna I, I want to talk to you about as well but um you've also brought up another point that you know uh, people have got this perception when you when you're as you, um, it's probably a, a term that you should nearly trademark, but doing work on yourself or or doing the work, that it all just happens and it's just there and it, and it's a, a very linear thing. But it's it, it can be something that's not so linear. Like it can be, you know, you can fall back into old habits and then move forward. Like it's you know, like the old saying, um, two steps forward, one step back, kind of thing. And when you're doing this work on your on yourself. I think that's really important to understand that, that like, you know, you've just kind of described that there's some days it, it doesn't work as well as others and, and that's okay as well. 100%. It reminds me a lot, Warren, you don't have to be a parent to relate to this, but if you, for the parents of listening, you know when you feel like you've just mastered an age, like you get to two and you've got them sorted and they've gone through teething and they're playing the water, you're like, I am absolutely smashing it as a parent. And then something friggin' else happens. So then you go into something else and like, then they start, you know, you've got to get them off the nappies and they start wetting the bed. You've got the new thing. And then you get that sorted and then something else comes and you're like, Jesus, I never, ever get this right. And, we're, you know, we're laughing now. We're in like the tween stage, nearly the teens. And I thought I had it now at 11 and 12, was cruising. Now we've got a whole new different ball game. And I'm like, oh, my God, how do I deal with this? So that's what reminds me about ourselves. Like we, we get one part sorted, that gets healed and it might get triggered every now and then, but even if you've worked out your triggers and you go, ooh, why is that triggering me? Why is that upsetting me so much? And you've got, you're coming to it with curiosity rather than judgment and you've sort of worked out ways that you can minimise your triggers. You mightn't see that sort of person. You mightn't put yourself in this environment. You've worked on your boundaries. And then something else happens because it's almost like as you peel off each layer, something else might bubble up. So it's, it's so important to remind yourself that there's not a destination there's not a point that you get to and you're a complete perfect human um, and that you come to it with curiosity. You don't come to it with self-judgment because self-judgment is just going to put us into a whole other level of shame. And I always try and say, yeah, there's some days when Oprah laughs and she says, you know, God, can you just not teach me anything today? I just don't want to have to learn about anything today. 
And that I always use that story and laugh because be careful what you wish for sometimes. You know, if you, you don't want, I, I do like, I always say I don't want change, I want positive change in my life. I'm really careful with what I say out loud. But, yeah, it's funny, you just, you get one area sorted and then I feel like we're little babushka dolls, you know, those babushka dolls and you've got the tiny one in the middle. I feel like that's our inner child and all the others are layers. And as we do the work, we're just sort of peeling off each layer and getting closer and closer and closer to that inner child, which is everything that happened in our childhood. And that dictates who we are. Like that inner child doesn't magically disappear. That inner child is in us the whole time. They are that little babushka doll is in there the whole time. They don't go away. And that's what causes all of our reactions because something's happening to that inner child. Gabor Mate talks about his books are amazing. If your listeners haven't got into him, Dr. Gabor Mate, M-A-T-E from Canada. He talks a lot about we often use the word trigger in society now, but some people I don't think understand it or they think it's really dramatic. They think that's oh, a bit full on. But he talks a lot about the trigger is very similar to a gun. So that if you look at a gun and you compare the size of the trigger to the rest of the gun, the trigger is actually really, really tiny, but it's what's loaded in the barrel of the gun that has all the power. So he talks about when you're triggered by something small, can be tiniest comment of someone in the environment, bang, how the rest of the gun goes off. And our job is to question what's in the barrel. Like why did that barrel shoot then and go off because it wasn't the trigger so it wasn't the person and it wasn't what they said it's what's in the barrel so I love that that really helped me go oh my god that's so fascinating what's in my barrel with this person it's not necessarily them I can keep hating on them and thinking they're the problem but I've got to be big enough to go what's in the barrel that they're exploding in me what's that trigger yeah (laughs) no that's um that's You've gone, sorry. No, I'm just saying it. that's really confronting because we have to take responsibility for it. We can't just keep blaming the other person. Now, you've talked a lot about, and I know um, back to that day in Melbourne, you talked a lot about boundaries. Um, can you explain how you implement boundaries in your life? I'm a boundary queen, Warren. I, love I know boundaries. that's what I, I, I was going to introduce you as the boundary queen, but because <laughs> you, um, you, I know that you're very big on your boundaries. So can you explain how how they they work in your life or how you implement them in your life? Well, boundaries keep us safe. So boundaries aren't about attacking the other person or attacking a certain environment, or they're about keeping you safe. So everyone wants to feel like they are in control of their life, and boundaries for me has off their lifesaver and I'm continually doing them and sometimes you can release them sometimes you can let a boundary go because someone's either evolved or the situation's got better so you can drop the boundary that's what's so great about boundaries the hardest part about a boundary is not you thinking what it is is telling the person and you the best way to test someone's emotional intelligence is to put a boundary in place and you watch what happens they will have a conniption have a hissy fit, they'll attack you, they'll insult you, they'll make it feel like this is all your problem. That's the hardest part is going, sure, and I don't need to justify my boundaries, this boundary is for me. That's the hardest part. So boundaries in my life um, range for both personal and professional. 
And I think boundaries are the hardest in families because you're not meant to put boundaries in place with families. This is the way we've always done it in this family, Georgina, and this is the way that we'll be doing it. And it's like, no, thanks. That doesn't serve me and that doesn't serve our family. Like that's hard. That's really hard to do. I think one of the most common that I get, and it was funny, I just got this gorgeous DM from a girl on Instagram four days ago, and I love that she trusted me. And she sent me a message saying, Georgie, I know you're big on boundaries. I'm really, really struggling with my sister-in-law. And she said, I just find it so toxic. Whenever she's near me, she insults me. She puts me down. But I love my niece and my nephew. You know, and that's a really common problem, I feel, that there's this toxicity and there's this sort of bad energy between certain people. And sometimes it's two ways, but sometimes it's not two ways, to be honest. Sometimes it's just you're unlucky that you have an in-law that is not very nice. That's just life. And I think there's a reluctance to call that out for what it is. Because then you'd be a shit daughter-in-law or you'd be a shit brother-in-law um, or you'd be a shit son-in-law, you know. So I'm a big one and Glennon Doyle's amazing on boundaries. So is Brene Brown. If it's not serving you in terms of making you feel like shit and you're getting anxiety, for me it, it actually is I get so anxious. That's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your family. It's not good for anyone. So you have to put some boundaries in place. So it could be that like with this particular lady, um, her, her sister-in-law comes over to her house and she feels like shit. And I said, well, you know what? Your house is your your sanctuary. Your house is your the place where you need to feel safe. So my first suggestion to her was don't meet at your house, like meet on neutral ground. So neutral ground can be a great first boundary because they're not invading your space energetically and you have more control to leave in a neutral ground. It's really hard to kick people out when they're pissing you off, even if it is your own home. And so... Then there's a time limit. You know, it's it's going in saying, yeah, sure, we're available from 12 to 2 or we're available for a quick stay. You know, it's making sure that you have a boundary ready to go. And then it can be things like you've got, you're meant to be going to a, I don't know, friend's party or something and you just know that you and your family are wrecked and you're knackered and you're just not up to it and it's going to cause other ramifications if you go because everyone's just going to be too tired and whatever. And it's ringing up and saying, I know that we said that we were going to go to that party and I'm so sorry, but we're not going to be able to make it. And I'm happy to look at another date. But that's still a boundary because you're saying that just, and even if that person says, but you said that you were going to come, you, you told me that you were going to come. I was relying on you. I understand. And no, I can't make it. And that's really tough to stand in your boundary. And that other person that you're giving the boundary to is allowed to have a response. They're allowed to have feelings. They're allowed to get, they're allowed to do whatever they want to do in their response, but it is not your responsibility to manage that. That's the game changer is they're allowed to be angry and they're allowed to freeze you out. They're allowed to do all that stuff, but you don't have to manage that. It's not your responsibility. You just have to stick to your boundary and whatever's going to serve you in terms of your mental health, your physical health, and you feeling as though you are in control of your life. And I think for women, Warren, that's been something that we have been culturally programmed to do the opposite. You know, women should be caring and loving and nice and we should always be looking after everyone. And, you know, the most wonderful woman is the most, isn't she an amazing mother? She's so unselfish. I mean, Jesus, what sort of message does that send to women? Like you've got to be unselfish to be amazing. You've got to just have no boundaries. Like I've seen so many people, women put up on 
podiums because they're so selfless and they give, 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 and then that poor woman's bloody exhausted. So it's about reframing for me. And you'll look, you'll make some enemies. You'll <laughs> you'll have people that think you're you're just the worst thing in the world because you don't necessarily want to do what everyone else wants to do all the time. And guess what? That's okay. So boundaries for me are I'm always talking to Molly about boundaries in the playground. I'm like, you need to be kind with boundaries. You don't need to be nice. I'm not interested, Warren, in raising a nice girl who's nice to everyone and never says no. I'm interested in raising my husband and I want to raise a kind girl with boundaries so that when someone does something wrong or she doesn't feel like she wants to do something, she feels quite okay saying, no, thanks. And, and you know, and no is a, no is a complete sentence. You don't have to say, no, it's just that um, I've got like, you know, I've just been yeah. like, oh, gee, you've already lost your argument. You know, you're starting to flounder. Yeah. You're just explaining. No is a full sentence. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to do that. You know, we just yeah. don't want to do it. Do we? we don't want to make other people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And and it was interesting because knowing that you are the boundary queen, that could be a, uh, the title of a book or something that you could bring out. Um, that it was something that I had to really consider when I was writing my introduction for you today, because like you know, as I said, you you know, you're a mother and 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 a and a wife, and a, well, I know there's much more to you than that, but I know that's something that you hold fairly close as well. But uh, it was you know, knowing that you know, I didn't want to. Um, put you in a in a box and just say, well, you're a mother. Like I didn't want to start off that introduction saying, well, you're a mother and a wife because that's not Georgie. <laughs> like, you know, I, and it, it's something that you've really got, uh, like that I consider when, you know, and I think you probably taught me that a little bit that day because I can remember that day in Melbourne and, you know, obviously you, you whether you like it or not, <laughs> you are a celebrity as as such and so when people were at this thing and oh georgie coglin's at you know the mc and and everyone wanted to come and talk to you and i can remember like even asking you like when we grabbed a photo together that day asked you if that was okay because you'd already clearly defined to the audience which everyone probably walked out when they went to get morning tea and go gee she's a bitch isn't she like like because she said i don't you know this is my time and you know this is where i prepare for the next session and all that sort of stuff and and you set your boundaries clearly to the audience there so i was a little bit nervous coming up and asking for that photo but but obviously, but that's but it was really clear, and people understood. Well, you're in your professional mode here, and this is the boundary that you implement in your professional mode. And I need my time to prepare for the next, you know, to catch my breath and prepare for the, you know, after morning tea session kind of thing. And that was, yeah, it was something you, you taught me that you know it's okay to to say that, like you know, because especially doing what I do, and I try to. Not selflessly give. That's um, that just come. I think that just comes naturally. But you know, when I'm at a gig, like it, it can be fairly full on because you know I could uh, be doing a speaking gig and it's you know my I'm 45 minutes on stage and you and then you mingle and all that and and people obviously with what I talk about, people will want to come and talk to you one on one later on and and all of a sudden you know you're meant to have left and on your way home at you know. 9 30 10 o'clock and all of a sudden it's 11 and you're still talking to people and and it, and it can be really challenging and sometimes you've got to 
I'll say I better get hit the road or whatever just to set that that boundary. But as you said, that's more of an excuse and, and than a boundary, and it's something that I've tried to to work on a little bit more of setting setting boundaries so you're not completely overwhelmed all the time with people coming um, up to you or or, or you know or like I'm available now to answer questions. So come and see me after the after now or before or I'll be at lunch or whatever it is. So. Yeah, it's, I think it's really important, uh, and it, it does. It, it, it keeps your yourself safe, and it, and it, and uh, and and it keeps you in control. So yeah, you're just not totally out of control all the time because life can be like that sometimes, as 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 we all know. Um, I've taken up a fair bit of your time here, so I really appreciate this. So I just want to finish off with a with a, a few questions, and and obviously during during a conversation you've alluded to a, a number of books and um and obviously with the the work that you you do on your um for your own self you you're probably an avid reader but do you have a favorite book that you've read that you could recommend um to the people listening that you know they could get value out of oh gosh that i find that's that's probably one of the hardest questions you could ask me warren that answer is different, isn't it, depending on where we are in the journey and the work we've done on ourselves. So maybe I thought I feel like I'm probably I, I read so much stuff in this area of, of doing the work that I find that um, the books that I sometimes that I necessarily read now might be sort of further along in the journey. So that mightn't be necessarily helpful to everyone. So I, I consciously think maybe the best one to recommend is one that, I mean, I've always loved The Alchemist by Coelho Colo, and I think that's a great starting point for anyone that just wants to be curious about the journey of life, the magnificence of life. Um, that's a, yeah, I highly recommend The Alchemist. I always come back to that book all the time. Um, and then in addition to that, the one that, the, the book that changed my life was Louise Hay. You Can Change Your Life. That was my very first book that I read that got me into this whole journey. So that's that's one that I would recommend. Um, and anything by Gabor Mate, to be honest. So look him up. He's currently got a New York Best Times seller, um, The Myth of Normal. So if you do like a big chunky book and you're interested in a bit of science background, he goes into a bit of science, but it's all about our story and trauma. So hopefully one of those three will resonate with your listeners. Yep. I'll um, make sure that they're all in the all in the the notes that all accompany accompany this um, um podcast. What about as a musician? This will be, I think, an interesting question to for you as well. What about your favorite music or favorite band or you know what what's the sort of music that resonates with you? Or are you all over like across the genres? I'm all over the shop. Um, Warren, like I'm across so many genres because I love a bit of country. You know, you put a bit of country on and I am happy days. And I was always a big, um, you know, Johnny Denver fan. Um, I love the Waifs, more of a folk sort of based band in Australia. They've been one of my favourite bands for a long time and I've seen them live. But I'm a huge Cold Chisel fan, Midnight Oil fan, U2 fan, loved In Excess's Kick album. And now I'm due to a, a very energetic, passionate twelve-year-old. I pretty much know every Tay Tay song that she's ever released. 
So I'm a bit eclectic with my with my, and then some days I just I, I probably the artist I probably have on the most to be honest though in the kitchen is Frank Sinatra. I just go back to Frank all the time. He just makes me feel really happy and calm. And as I get older, I appreciate more and more his incredible ability to just make any song fly. So yeah, I'm a bit I'm a bit mixed, and and you know I love a bit of cheeky akadaka as well. So. I have, it depends on the mood, Warren. Yeah, and I think that's really important to have that, you know, on the same. I, I, yeah, my <laughs> my um, playlist on Spotify is not, um, yeah. I, but one thing that I do like, though, if I hear a, a good song, I like, and I was like this prior to electronic, like to, you know, downloading music, but I'd never just, I'd never buy like a, best of the 80s or best of the 90s kind of album or, you know, the the songs of 94 or whatever, I would always buy a whole album. So, you know, like in my record collection, you know, I've got U2 and I mightn't have been big fan of U2, but I love some of their songs or one of their albums. So it was a whole album thing. And then you end up you, you end up falling in love with songs that aren't the hits. They're, they're normally the ones that are... Um, you know the lesser songs for on that on a album that you'd never hear if you weren't into you know exploring the the whole thing. But yeah, bit of Willie Nelson or or some or I'm an In Excess fan myself, but any of that sort of stuff. So yeah, my uh, <laughs> I've got a wide range myself. Um, what about your favourite quote? And I know you know Brene Brown um, plays a big thing, a big part in what you do, but have you got a favourite quote from anybody that, that you'd like to share? Yes, my favourite. I always come back to it because it's based on the work I do for myself and the passion I have for other people. My favourite quote is by Deepak Chopra, everything I desire is within me. That's a, um, well, that resonates with me. As I said, I, as I'm exploring a bit of meditation myself, I've heard that in the last um, last couple of days. So, um yeah, no, that that is a a good one, and and I think we need to have a greater understanding of knowing that as well. That you know, um, it's all within us. We've just got to just got to let it um, you know come out and and shine, I suppose. Um, to finish off, or a couple of things to finish off. Uh, this last question, though, if you could f- invite um, five guests to sit around that magnificent table that you've restored at Birmingham Farm. Um, and this excludes family and friends who would the five people be well I find this you know this is always such an interesting question and when I hear other people answer it I think ah they're five people that I didn't even think of and I'm always wanting to steal other people's ideas so I'll just go on that if this was to happen next month, Warren, I'm going to pretend that this is happening next month and all these people are alive and they're ready to go. My number yep. one would be Attenborough because yep. I did zoology at university. I just applaud and respect his work so much. And I really want to know one-on-one what he thinks his solution is to try and stop climate change. More importantly, how do we get people to value it? I think he'd just be the most brilliant guest. Uh, I'd love to have Tay-Tay because I couldn't get tickets to a bloody concert, Warren, so I'd invite Tay-Tay so she could give a little number and tell her off that I was on the on the bloody computer for three days trying to get tickets for our daughter and didn't, wasn't successful. I just think she's a phenomenal 
artist. I think she's an incredible feminist. I think what she's doing for for young girls and boys is just amazing. So I'd love to have Tay Tay. I definitely have to invite Oprah and Brene Brown because they've been my healers, my guides, my mentors. What they've done to the world in terms of their emotional intelligence contribution has been phenomenal. And I'd have to round it out, Tim Minchin. I adore his work. I adore his passion. I've been lucky enough to work with him on on something very low-key and I've interviewed him on the project and I just think he's an incredible Australian, super talented, super smart, razor-sharp smart. And I think that'd be a nice mix, get those people around, serve them some of our slow-cooked lamb or maybe they're vegetarian, I don't know. Uh, Tay-Tay might be vegan. I'd come up with something anyway, Warren. Yeah, Tim Minchin's an interesting one because he, I think he's, I think he's like he must border on being a genius. I think because and that's the way he comes across, and he's just, yeah, very interesting. Like, um, obviously he can be polarizing, but he's, um, yeah, very interesting um, character. I, you know, I enjoy his music as well. So, or or the stuff that he puts out, he's a very interesting man. Well, that brings us to the end. I, I suppose I better give you the opportunity to um, to plug the work you do at Birmingham Farm. So if anyone's interested in um, any of the, the stuff that you've got going on there, um, how can they find out about that? Well, thank you, Warren. Well, the best bet is just jump on our website. It's Birmingham with an E, B-E-R, birminghamfarm.com.au and we're also at Birmingham Farm on Instagram. So jump on the line, on, online, have a look at our website, send us a DM on Insta if you're interested in what more information. We have some incredible workshops coming up, one on the mother wound, which is about the trauma that's passed down from mothers from generation to generation and how you can stop that. Parenting, um, living life in your values. We've got one on menopause too, Warren. don't think that will um, necessarily have you there, but, you know, for all those people going through, they think perimenopause, it's the, the new... The new dawn is that we all get to talk about it. We don't have to hide it and pretend it's not happening. So there's lots happening and we'll be doing some fun things leading into Christmas. We're doing some art workshops early in the year. So this is something for everyone. So we'd love to see you here. But thank you, Warren. What a great chat. I've loved it. No, well, thank you very much for coming on. And um, I knew it would be a good chat, um, as I said, you know, and obviously um, you've said like recognising the depth that you operate on is, um, is yeah, very fascinating to me and um but i appreciate um, you taking the time out of your day i know you're busy <laughs> and um having a chat with me and 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 look forward to catching up with you somewhere somewhere down the track look forward to seeing you at birmingham farm so we'll have to put up have, we're going to talk you and i yeah no worries good on you thanks georgie um appreciate your time and catch you next time thank you very much thanks Warren. bye bye Thanks for joining me on today's podcast and I appreciate any feedback and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Beyond the Back Paddock podcast.